Hello and welcome to episode 56 of the Freo Big Footy podcast. This week we're going to have a look back at the solid performance against the D's at the G for uh, with a comprehensive 68 point win for Fremantle and then we'll have a quick look at the Peel Thunder game and the upcoming clash against the Bombers. Joining us this week is our usual residential Victorian expert, even though he's over in WA at the moment. Seppo, how are you, mate? I'm good, Centurions, and glad to be in WA for this game on the weekend, so really looking forward to it. Yeah, absolutely. Obviously, last week, Fremantle, 18 goals, 10-118, defeated Melbourne, 6 goals, 14-50. And it was probably a sort of a couple of areas of dominance where, obviously, in the last quarter, Seppo, and then, obviously, the first half of the first quarter, they sort of got out to a good lead and then sort of held water between now and then, but a pretty solid performance overall in the end and a pretty comfortable victory and certainly uh, nice to get a good win up on the G there. Mm, it was a bit uh, sort of discouraging that we'd actually started with um, a sort of a close, you know, 19 and 20-point margins at quarter time and half time and you thought, oh, hold on, if we're pushing out, you know, we always tend to drop off and come back, but it was good to see we actually put the fo- foot down and kind of got a four-quarter performance, even though it was a bit scrappy early on and... Certainly Melbourne just got into it, and I think the umpires were sort of helping them through a bit. Uh, <laughs> but it was good to see, you know, us finish really strong and put in that good um, fourth-quarter effort, which is, you know, we got a good start and got a good finish, and we're starting to get closer to now a, a good, solid performance all the way through. Yeah, I think the interesting thing, Seppo, was obviously if you talked at the start of the year, you would have said our three most important forwards would have been obviously Ballantyne, Pavlich, and Walters, just in terms of our usual goal scoring, not not in terms of importance as such, because structurally, obviously, Tabernacle would be up there, but you normally you would expect if we kicked sort of that many 18 goals, you'd expect Ballantyne, Pavlich and Walters to kick a majority of those, and all three of them, obviously, uh, two of them out with concussion in the first half, and Ballantyne just struggling to get back after a couple of weeks off. Yeah, it's amazing that we've um, now actually relied on a lot of our games with um, strength from midfield kicking goals, and Maine slowly getting back into form week by week, and even Tabernacle, you know, I think he kicked one or two, but just what he does for our forward line, we're, we're looking pretty good when we aren't relying on guys like Pav and Ballas and Walters to kick it. And it's funny how Ballantyne always seems to have quiet ones when he comes back after a week off, and especially when it's an away game, and you expect him to turn it around this week. But it's just great to see that some of those guys just streaming forward, and, and even guys like Daniel Pierce and Subin just continue their good form from the start of the year. And hitting the scoreboard from goals far out. So it's actually great to see that, you know, Maine's found his niche, and Ross Lyon talked about in the um, post-match press conference about playing a bit deeper forward and, and being able to use his body, and he's, he's a good grab to the ball. So he's um, found his little spot there, and we're starting to naturally sit a bit better in the um, forward structure, even with uh, guys out of there. Yeah, I think last week we had 10 goals kicked from our midfield, which is sort of, as you said, continuing that trend of our midfielders being able to push forward and uh, kick goals, and it's certainly making us a lot more dangerous. And I think, um, you know, even if you look against the team up the road, you know, with like West Coast, for example, they just don't have those midfielders that kick goals. And we had that same problem a few years ago as well, and it just makes us so much more dangerous when you've got those guys who are able to go forward and kick goals and make it more dangerous for the, you know, for our guys. And obviously, uh, good to see Maine, as you said, Seppo, come back with... Obviously, not only just the uh, four goals, but the 12 tackles and that just that pressure. And he obviously looks like he's um, fully fit. I don't think he was ever fully fit last year after the limited preseason with his ankle and stuff. And it just looks um, looks like the player we saw in 2013. 
Mm. And it's funny how we, um, there's a lot of guys questioned his uh, selection with after some injuries late last year and through the year that sort of maybe cost us a couple of games. But even now this week, I think he had a cork five from the previous week before against Sydney and the way he came up and performed like he did was fantastic. And just looking back over those other guys that really helped us going forward, it's the um, the lethal left foot brigade. And, and Ross mentioned that as well about we've actually got some good kicks in our side now. When you look at Daniel Pierce, Stephen Hill, Nick Subin, we're all left footers and we've all got laser raking left foot boots. So good to see that we're actually starting to break the lines and put some damaging inside 50s or just go for home when they start to get into their range. And, and you can see Daniel Pierce is a lot more comfortable now with kicking the ball, and especially when he's running through the centre, not taking those wild pot shots on the boundary that think they're going to go through. And I think they're just getting a bit, bit smarter with their kicks and not just bombing it away or putting it into awkward spots. They're either having good shots or putting it right into the danger zone. And I think Neil's another one that's very good at that and just knowing where our players will be and just putting it right to the perfect spot in front of goal. Yeah, I do agree with you, but I think we're still at a point where we tend to butcher that ball a little bit too much. Like in that third quarter in particular, the amount of times we had, you know, sometimes they're looking for just trying to be a bit too cute or just trying to make it that little bit too tricky rather than just sort of getting the ball to the top of the square or especially when Sandilands is down there. I know there was one even like Monday was just trying to do his little chip pass into Walters in the first, I think it was the first quarter and, uh, you know, and he had a one-on-one down in the goal square and would have just made it really difficult for the Melbourne defenders. And uh, yeah, we just, as you said, I mean, it's certainly better, as you said, our kicking is, certainly our field kicking has been immaculate, Seppo. And if we can just improve those inside 50 entries, I think mm. we're just going to become more and more dangerous. So um, let's hope that's the case. I think one of the other ones, Seppo, that's been interesting when we talk about, obviously, Maine, who's been sort of a, a bit of a... Um, player that's sort of attracted the attention of the board in terms of whether he should play or not. And the other one is probably Nick Subin as well. And uh, obviously there's plenty of um, opinions on him one way or the other. But I think his um, last few weeks has been really good. And last week he was, did a sensational job, really. Kicked a couple of goals, but also kept um, Nathan Jones quiet when he played on him and then played on Dom Tyson as well. And they're probably their two prime movers. And by having him in there in that um, sort of centre square, he's able to... Uh, Negate, and he was negating their sort of uh, ability, but also not too bad the other way as well, which was good. Mm, I suppose that's the upgrade on Crowley we were looking for, someone that can negate the opposition and pick up a lot of their own balls. So I think, I can't remember if Subin, you know played that loose tagging role and managed to pick up over 20 touches himself. That's pretty good. And the fact that he can hurt the opposition the other way and just help our clearances, because that's one thing I think Subin brings um, when he's on the outside and gets that ball and give him space, he'll absolutely pump that ball forward like Clancy Pierce and Daniel can do too as well. That's um, really valuable to just send us forward as long as we're not burning it straight to the opposition. It's just good to really win that centre clearance. And even if it's just going for touch, it, you, you kind of look at those kicks and go, oh, that's why he's in the side and quite valuable really just to push that ball forward. Yeah, I think, um, as you said, another one is the... Um the way Fremantle structure up, obviously you can sort of see they're playing that sort of like zone, you know, and because they've got obviously that height in the midfield across there, it makes, you know, requires teams to have exceptional kicking skills to be able to get through that zone because if they sort of air it up a little bit, our guys are able to come over and spoil it. And I think you see at the back now they've got Clancy playing that sweeping role, a bit like uh, in a soccer game, Seppo, where you've got sort of like, um, you know, you sort of see the uh, sweeper at the back there and he's just sort of directing traffic and, Clancy seems to have taken that role on a bit more this year, and he's not afraid to back back into traffic either. 
and he's just directing the traffic back there and uh, certainly opening the game up for us when uh, when we do receive the ball on the turnover, particularly across half-back. He's sort of um, you know taking those kicks out to where our advantage is in the midfield and those guys like Fife and Barlow and Mundy and those sort of guys are able to run onto it or at least uh, get a good one-on-one. It's funny because Clancy Pierce is almost like a bit of the unsung hero because through the pre-season, I know he had fantastic uh, summer and probably trimmed down a bit from last year. And I suppose w- when you look at it at the start of this year, you wouldn't have thought that Clancy Pierce would have been the side right the way through and, and performing probably to the best he ever has since his um, good 2013 year. Um, he's he's certainly helped our defence and with guys like Mundy and um, some of the others that just sort of dropped to that half-back line has really helped out while we're sort of short without Dawson and Silvani and some of the extras that we've usually got down there. Yeah, and, uh, and you know, and he said the good thing is, I mean, we've still got those guys waiting in the wings as well. And, you know, each week you've got guys who are probably having to push for their spots. I mean, you know, there was a bit of talk last week about, um, obviously, Sutcliffe not, you know, probably probably not playing as well as he has. But, um, I mean, I think he's got a few credits and we certainly don't have too many small defenders. So, um, but, he, you know, he probably just hasn't been quite as um, good. I mean, Garland played pretty well last week on him, but, um, you know, he... I still think he's definitely in our best 22 by far. But, you know, as you said, you've got other guys in there who played a full game like DeBoer. It'll be interesting to see how Lyon uses DeBoer this week, whether he starts him or whether he uh, plays him off the bench as a sub again. Mm, the sub choice is getting quite hard, but it almost seems to pay off. You know, again, with DeBoer almost getting a full game with Walters going down early. And it was great to see that, you know, those two, both Pav and Walters, even though they sat out, they were looking lively after the game and sort of both made it through the week with their concussions test, but I was really worried then when we lost Walters that early that, you know, DeBoer playing a full game. But the best thing about DeBoer is he's got the endurance and it doesn't matter if he comes on early on that he can still run out a full game and contribute. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, yeah, as I said, I thought uh, I thought Melbourne hung in there for a little bit, but obviously they're just lacking that little bit of uh, quality at times. And uh, But I think there's certainly a team on the rise. And once they get Petraka and a couple of other those um, and obviously Viney back in there. I think they'll certainly uh, be able to beat you know a few teams in that sort of um, probably seven to eighteen range. I think anywhere around there, those they'll be pretty competitive against those sort of sides for sure. Yeah, definitely. And the other interesting thing I think was that um, we obviously didn't get a lot of dominance in the hitouts either. We uh, I think the hitouts were forty to thirty four, so it wasn't like Sandilands had it on a string or anything. And I think actually Jamar had more hitouts than Sandilands. So Zach was obviously using it a little bit more in there and they were trying to run JMR around quite a bit with uh, the athleticism of uh, Zach Clark. And it's pretty tough when you go in there with only ruck- one ruckman, you know, because I was sort of using Peterson in that second ruck role. And uh, I thought it was, um, a, you know, as you said, a very solid performance in the clearances and uh, our ability to get extract that ball and use it well was sensational. Yeah, it's a very odd, quiet game from Sandlands. And I thought going into it beforehand with Jamar being the only one ruckman that Sandlands would really dominate. But I suppose Clark had a good game in that centre square and around the field. And somehow our, you know, our midfield just won those set of clearances as well that you know, we didn't have to rely too much on Sandlands winning every single rack up, which is you know a good sign that it, you know, it doesn't just mean Sandlands, even though he's very important to us in that centre square and around the ground for what he provides. And I think he probably was more valuable in that game around the ground with that get-out kick or just chopping off that Melbourne ball that was silly enough to kick it into the air into his direction. But it's um, yeah great to see that that combination of Clark and Sandlands are probably the best two paired ruckmen in a team probably going around at the moment. 
Yeah, and absolutely. And I think it was a, um, he said another really, I mean, from our tall, three, main three tools down there with McFarlane, Ibbotson and Johnson, once again, it was a really solid performance. And McFarlane obviously did a great job on uh, Tark, um, Jesse Hogan there. So hopefully he'll, uh, it's a bit unfortunate he's out this week, but I think, you know, obviously it's, I think it seems more like a planned rest than a um, major issue considering he was sort of even running a little bit at training. But he'll certainly go, and we'll get to that in a little bit more, to give another player an opportunity and uh, we'll see how they go. So anything else you want to bring up from this one, Seppo? Well, I was um, yeah, not too sure exactly how the Brownlow votes would have gone this way, Stendurians, but if you were to give the 3-2-1, would you, you put Maine for his performance ahead of Fife or given it to Fife for what he did around the ground, even though he probably got a bit less touches than um, some of the other guys that done well, because I'd certainly go Maine, probably maybe the three, depending if the umpires sort of saw what he did, Fife with two, and maybe even Mundy or... Um, Probably even Lockie Neal with what he did with the one vote as well. But yeah. I think it's one of those interesting ones. I think it's. A, I think if you look at what the Brownlow votes will be and what the fairest and best votes will be, I think they will differ. I think I definitely agree with you that they probably in the best and fairest main would probably get top votes, but I yeah. don't know if he'd necessarily get best votes in the Brownlow. Nice, um, yeah. I just. I think you know. Because obviously Maine would have done everything that Ross Lyon or the match committee were after, but he, you know. Five just stands out, and he's just got that beacon of being able to stand out a little bit more. And, um, you know, as you said, if you're a forward or a defender, it's pretty hard to get votes, you know. You've seen a couple of times where guys get seven or eight goals and they still don't crack a vote, so, yeah. and, they'll, and they'll argue. So it'll be an interesting... I think it'll be one of those games where we look back and it'll be interesting to see um, how the voting does go in this game because, as you said, I think Maine was probably one of our most important players in keeping the pressure on and all that sort of stuff. And I think he'll probably get top votes in the best and fairest, but I don't necessarily believe it'll be in the, the same thing in the um, Brownlow. The other one that was um, interesting, like, play that sort of stood out for me was not for, not from our side, but um, Tom McDonald for the full-back for um, Melbourne. He certainly looks like a um, player of the future as well. So I think he'd be uh, certainly handy for any side looking for a um, key, key position defender. He, his ability, he backs himself in and he's got good size and speed and generally uses it pretty well. Yeah, he's been a shining light for Melbourne this year in the, the back line. And, you know, they've lost, lost you know, Rivers and some other people over the course. And great to see that they've got at least some, you know, key position stocks. And he played quite well um, right through the whole game. And you could probably even hear some um, media commentary in Melbourne saying that Tom McDonald, with, along with Alfred, were one of the best defenders over the first four or five rounds of the year. So he's, he's doing a pretty good job, even though he didn't really... Um, I'm not sure if he was matched up on Maine the whole game, but if Maine kicked four, he, <laughs> he still looked good, even though that result went that way. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, and as I said, um, and the good news is that obviously Pavlich and uh, Walters have both passed the concussion test at this stage, so uh, hopefully they'll be ready to line up for uh, the side this week. Obviously, during the week as well, Seppo, the uh, Peel Thunder played last week against Swan Districts, and they were trying to continue on their good winning form, but unfortunately... Swans came out and were a little bit too good for them and they sort of uh, basically broke it open in the uh, third quarter, kicking eight goals to two and ended up winning 18-16, 124 to 11-11, 77. And probably the big unfortunate news out of the game was the uh, PCL injury to Atmos. So he looks like he'll be out for 10 to 12 weeks, which is a sort of another depletion, unfortunately, of our sort of key position players as well. 
yeah, it's a real shame that we've lost someone like Alex Silvani for that 12-week period. And then at the other end, when we, you know, looking for something to, you know, take off from Pav and Tabana, just in case those two go, the aptness would have been slotting in perfectly. But thank God Pav's playing this week and we don't have to call upon some more key forwards because the other options they've got are probably Ruckman with Hanneth and Griffin and, and those other guys playing there. But it was, um, yeah, just a shame for Peel to get their first loss. And I think... From all the reports I read, that looks like Swans just killed them for leg speed and Peel seem a bit too top-heavy with some of the bigger Freo boys and some of the other guys playing down there, and they were just too nippy and quick, the uh, your Black Ducks. And I think you know, Peel at least are showing signs that they're at least playing more of a Freo-style game plan and, and some of those guys, and just seeing from the emergencies that were selected this week, guys like Sheridan and uh, Blakely are, are doing pretty well in their week-in, week-out. Yeah, it's also good to see your man Brady Gray once again listed in the bests, um, Seppo, and obviously he's uh, continuing his good form with his uh, ability to play sort of defence and in the midfield, and uh, also Lockie Weller was named up there in the best players as well, which is um, terrific for us, and obviously um, guys like Sheridan and that sort of thing were getting a run, but obviously the uh, big news I suppose this week is the fact that Alex Pearce will get his uh, first crack at it, and uh, last week he played... I think he played the first half at centre-half forward, so he was a bit out of position from what he was normally playing. But um, by all accounts, he's... Um, and I've, I mean, I've seen him a few times, but I haven't seen him for the last couple of weeks, obviously. But um, by all accounts, he's uh, putting every step forward and uh, I'll be looking forward to seeing how he goes this week. Yeah, I suppose it's something we heard at the start of the year. Ross Lyon, I think, dropped Alex Pierce's name, saying, look, we've got to get games into him, you know, stating that McCarlin's going to be rested at some times. And I suppose if we look at those challenges with... Um, McFarlane listed as a general soreness of the um, calf, I think. So it's it's not really a major thing, and he had thin strapping on training during the week. This is probably just a more of a man management thing than other one. Everyone really worrying about his uh, injury, and it's just great to see someone like Pierce that's been playing some good waffle games get a chance down back and um, you know get a chance to show his stuff. Well, that's it, and obviously we'll. Uh... They'll also get rid of all the media commentary about uh, the fact that we haven't had any debuts for a while. So um, it'll be good. And, um, I mean, obviously he's got a good size about him being 200 centimetres and um, obviously has terrific uh, three-kilometre time trial. I think he ran about ten, just over 10 minutes in the um, in the draft a few years back and ran a 15 beat test. So he certainly has ability and endurance. So it'll be certainly interesting to see how he plays. And obviously um, the matchup they go with, whether it be Carlisle or Danaher, um, it'll be interesting to see how he uh, how he holds himself, and obviously it's going to be critical for us when we um, in that game to be able to you know give him support from the, the midfield, which is always usually uh, the case we do anyway. Mm. And it's interesting just to hear the player comparisons when someone's asked on the forum, you know, who does Alex Pierce actually play like? And some people are saying, oh, you know, he's a bit like McFarlane, a bit like Dawson, a bit like Johnson, but I think um, Locke was the one that described it best as Dustin Fletcher. So. <laughs> it's going to be quite interesting to see with you know, Dustin Fletcher out. We've got our own version coming through here, what type of a position he takes, if he's at full back or rolls off a bit and uses his speed, especially if he gets matched up on someone like Danaher as well. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, obviously the game this week at the main stadium at 6.10, um, and uh, obviously McFarlane is out with that car soreness and, um, and likewise for... And Pierce coming in, and for Essendon, Dustin Fletcher's been listed as a groin, but um, obviously, even on 360 last night, pretty much just said he was resting, and you, you knew him and Chappie wouldn't come across anyway, and uh, 
Langford's the other youngster's been omitted, and in comes James Gwilt and Jackson Merritt. So uh, obviously an important game for both teams. Obviously Fremantle want to consolidate their start to the season, and Essendon want to keep in touch with the uh, other sides on the ladder. So, and obviously Essendon have had a pretty reasonable record over here, even though they did get smacked last year by about 10 goals. But there was some talk that some players were a bit crook that day. But um, obviously in the year before was with all the herd drama and that sort of thing. So it'll be interesting to see the contrasting styles with Essendon using their short chipping style to keep the ball in the midfield um, as against to Fremantle, who tends to opened up a little bit this year and certainly moving the ball quicker in attack. Yeah, certainly it's going to be a great match-up and I suppose Essendon has a bit of experience out of that side, but even just with Fletcher coming out, but it's probably something they'd need with um, some younger guys and guys that are ready to run on Subiaco and, and watch hopefully if, you know, Ballantyne and, and Walters are in form, it's going to cause some headaches to their back line. I think I've seen in the past Fletcher even match up on Ballantyne at some odd times during the game. It's it's funny to see, but they've got young, I think, Jackson Merritt sort of plays like a half-back, back pocket to sort of come in and um, and play a game. Yeah, you have to think that Bagley will take one of those two boys, the other one, um, and then obviously they're going to have, you'd have to think Hurley would play the full-back position, or, you know, he'll probably end up going on Pav, and then Hooker would probably take the resting Ruckman, and then you've got Gwilt, who would probably come play, try and play that third man off, so he'll come across and do the... Uh, Spawning, or they'll do it the other way with Gwilt and then Hooker coming across. And so Maine will be pretty important the way he his patterns or his running patterns to make sure that they try and at least um, keep them accountable and stop them getting that third man up there. Yeah, I suppose the one thing with um, running patterns is one thing we've seen and, and what it does to our structure with Tabiner, who's actually looking good. And I suppose he didn't have that problem for most of last week with um, Pav not out there, but it's actually good to see that, you know, we're stringing games together. He just gets the more he's out there, he's going to more learn more about you know where to run and, and where to sort of dive off or roll back on and, and he's very good at running so hopefully Tabernet is the one that can sort of help stretch those guys at the back and we just got to watch we don't bomb it in there because Hooker and Hibbert are two that are very good for Essendon in terms of intercepting marks just like Johnson, McFarlane and even it's Hibbert's an R so just got to watch it and, and hopefully with um, Pav and Walter's pulling through with concussion that there's no sort of laid out so we can actually go in with a decent forward line set up and, and, and really stretch them because this is one thing where if we're going to beat Essendon, we can't make it too low scoring. We've got to make sure that those guys are really effective when we put on a big score. It'd be interesting to see how they use their third line. Obviously, Bell Chambers is going to get the um, rucking duties to start, Seppo, but it'll be interesting to see how they use the third man. And, or Obviously, when um, Bell Chambers won't be able to ruck the whole game, certainly against Sandlands. And Clark in that, and they have no real recognised second ruckman. I know that Carlisle can probably have to come up and do it, but Bell Chambers isn't as effective down forward, which is part of the reason why, obviously, the loss of Paddy Ryder from last year has certainly affected their ability um, in that forward half because they forward their forward line's been pretty deplorable, and I think only Melbourne and Brisbane or Melbourne and Carlton have scored less points than them, which is a pretty bad indictment when you consider the state of those two teams at the moment. Mm-hmm. Who do you think will get the uh, job, or how do you think they're going to go with Watson? Do you think they'll go head to head, or do you think they'll try and use someone like Subin on Watson, or do you think they'll go Watson and Fife head to head, or something, or Mundy, or Barlow? Or it might, it might be a, a Barlow with Watson or a Fife with Watson head to head. 
I suppose the only thing I could see in terms of a matchup if we decide, and I think we've used guys like Clancy Pierce and Subin on their most damaging ball users, it might be even Heppel or something that gets a sort of softish tag. And I suppose Subin would be a good match matchup on uh, Heppel because you can see, you know, if Subin's on his angry pills and wants to lay a good tackle on someone like Heppel and just make sure it hurts and not him because he's probably one of their best users of the footy, especially with guys like Stanton and Watson that aren't really recognised as good kicks. I'm not sure who else they have running through the midfield there, but when you look at Heppel, he's probably one of their better users and ones that you will probably put some type of a soft tag on. But it'll be, I think, a lot of head-to-head and just rely off us winning the ball, and that's the way we've been playing a lot this year. With only Even Ross mentioning that we've only really had one tag with Clancy on Boke in, in round one, and we've been pretty much running loose most of the rest of the uh, games. Yeah, I mean, and if you look at the way this teams are lined up, Seppo, you have to think on the interchange they've got Subin, Barlow, Tabner and DeBoer listed. So if you're going off those, you'd have to think DeBoer's going to get the sub role from... You can't see Tabner, Barlow or Subin um, getting that um, tagging role. And I think, um, you know, I mean, you can't fault DeBoer's sort of um, effort or or work ethic or anything like that. But, I mean, you know, I think he does better when he only comes in for a quarter and a half. He's comes in just hard and uh, rather than sort of taking that whole game. So even though he did his role pretty well last week, you'd have to think that those three guys would be ahead of him in the pecking order as it stands. So you'd have to think DeBoer will get that. And then obviously they'll probably try and use... Do you think Maine will get the role on um, the, on Goddard? So they'll just try and use that, um, you know, so to stop Defensive Goddard forward. using that ball from half-back? Yeah, you'd, you'd probably think that he'd be right up there and... There's not many two others that we've probably got listed in that forward line that can do what you know Maine and or DeBoer if he's on the field does. So yeah, so. obviously the other player that stood up from a little bit this year he's sort of started to develop is Tra- Travis Collier from obviously a Claremont boy and uh, obviously has good pace and it'll be interesting to see uh, you know how uh, you know who Collier plays on him as well when they whether they go with him against Hill or Pierce or someone like that and uh, and I think this reminds me a little bit of the uh, Geelong game when we talked a bit about before Seppo with the fact that when you look at the midfield, they're probably three or four best midfielders are quite strong. When you look at Watson, Stanton, Heppel, those sort of guys are, you know, pretty high quality players. But once you get below those guys, they, they just drop off a little bit quicker than what Fremantle's do. And I think Fremantle just have a bit more, especially on a big ground, I think they're going to have a little bit more ability to uh, run stronger midfields for longer than what currently um, Essendon will be able to. Yeah, well, with what you were mentioning before, Centurions, with um, Travis Collier, he's probably one player that I'm probably a bit worried of and mindful, especially when you talk about the open fields of uh, Subiaco. When you've got quick types, it always seems to carve us up. If it's not the small nippy forwards, it's those quick running midfielders that can run with him. So I'm not sure if it's going to be a, a Hill or a Daniel job that someone that's got some pace that can run with him because he was the one that basically won them the game, I think, against uh, Sydney last year with a, a quick sprint through the middle and... I know it was St Kilda, but you've uh, really got to watch it in the open expanses of Subi that we're not letting some of their players run quick and it's probably what's caused us you know, some quick turnovers or counter-attacks with the guys moving the ball quickly has caught us out previously. So hopefully we've got some good matchups against the quicker tops because that's where I can see Essendon hurting us a bit this weekend. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, even when I, w- I went and sort of watched Essendon-Carlton a couple of weeks ago at the MCG and... Um, you know, obviously, even in that game, it was obvious that Carlton were killing them in the contested ball there, and they just didn't have the class to be able to hurt Essendon enough on the 
on the, when they were getting the ball. And, uh, you know, obviously Fremantle pride themselves on the contested ball. So if they don't get their hands on the ball, um, it's going to be very, very tough for the Bombers. You'd have to think with the outside run that Fremantle will get and their ability to sort of run and spread for the uh, Bombers to be able to sort of get enough inside 50s um, against our side to kick a winning score if they don't get enough of that contested ball, particularly if Sandlands gets on top of Bell Chambers early um, or even when the second rucks come in when Zach Clark is, goes up probably against um, Carlisle or even Danaher. Yep. Any other sort of matchups that stand out to you in this one, Seppo? Uh, not really. I'm just really hoping that from a, a forward performance that, you know, Pav and Walters get through unscathed and that we're not sort of risking them. And even though they passed their tests, they look very good after the game when I saw them last week. And I just hope, you know, I'm not sure if there's going to be a late change if they, you know, fail the past, you know, the last test or if they're just a bit concerned that they're, you know, at risk of further injury. And I think, I'm not sure if Pav or Walters was the one that was mentioned that was more likely to um, miss, but. Hopefully they can both get there and at least contribute because you wouldn't want to sort of bring them back and have a poor performance and, and sort of carry that on for another week. So hopefully we get, even though you want like a good spread of goal kickers, you just want one of Pav Ballas or Walters to really just get back into form and not have too many weeks where it's down on output because it's um, oh, it's a bit hard and for structures you want those best players in there, but it's, it's hard when you've got like Crozier on the outside and the other guys ready to get games and sort of falling short on performance with some of those guys that you're expecting to kick at least, you know, one or two a game. Yeah, I think if um, I think there was any doubt on Walters, they would, surely they would have brought Crozier in as one of the emergencies this week. And the um, fact that we've got Sheridan, Griffin and... Blakely. Blakely is the um, the three subs. It's very odd when you think about Pav being maybe a laid out would be replaced with Griffin, but uh, it's been a while since we've gone in the... Um, Clark, Griffin and Sandy and I probably don't see that happening he's, he's listed there maybe as a, a backup just for Sandy if he's um, feeling sore but yeah. it'd be interesting uh, mix if you get Sheridan or Blakely into this mix if um, Pav's out and what how small that makes Yeah, I just can't I, I think both those guys would be right to go and even last week they looked like they weren't um, didn't look like a heavy concussion for, for me, Pav looked probably more like it was going to be a broken jaw or something rather than the concussion so maybe they were just sort of taking it easy so um but hopefully hopefully that's the case but just the way those emergencies are listed you just couldn't see either of those guys at this stage being out of it unless they make a late change which i'll be surprised but um the way they're listed you would have thought that if walters was any danger they would have um had at least crozier in as one of the three emergencies for sure yeah definitely well sheridan's one player that i probably want to see come in at the back maybe play some good games because he he's getting to the stage now where he could be an upgrade if, you know, if um, guys like Spur and, and Duffield and Ibbotson start to have bad games, that he's ready to go there. And you can see that he's sort of been moulded and as a replacement for Duffield for that half-back running good good king skill player. So I, I really like Sheridan as a player. And if he can, you know, get a, get a chance there, and I'm not sure when the Peel game is, if it's before or after Saturday, but... Hopefully, if he's not required, that he goes back and puts in a good performance to um, get himself right for maybe next week against the Bulldogs. Yeah, I think there's no doubt if um, when Sheridan like you know puts on a couple of you know good performances in the waffle, I think he's I think he's clearly ahead of DeBoer as a um, long term option um, in, in in terms of best twenty two. Uh, 
I just think he uses the ball better. He's got good run. He's obviously not as hard as the ball is, but we don't need that hardness. I just think if you have with Pierce and Hill, I just think having that extra runner in there just makes it that more much more dangerous. And I think you'll see the same sort of thing with Hawthorne when they've got Hill and Isaac Smith. But if they get someone like Jed Anderson in there, it just makes them a lot more difficult to um, contain because if one of those, even if you keep one down, you've still got two other guys who can uh, do the job. So um, I must admit I was a bit surprised as well that the Bombers didn't consider someone like Elliot Kavanagh, who's um, quite a good centre clearance player. I thought they might have given him a bit of a go this week as well, Sepo, just to try and boost that contested ball because obviously Watson does a lot of it, but you know it's a bit hard to keep doing it all on your own when you're out there as well. Yeah, and I think there's a lot of talk on the uh, the Bombers board that they were disappointed that um, I think uh, Edwards didn't get up as one player that they were looking for. And I think they um, kept uh, Danaher into the side after you know, he picked up three handballs last week and got subbed out without kicking a goal. So it's um, they're obviously going to persist with him and hopefully he's out of form and doesn't kick too many. So I've actually got a running bet with uh, one of my mates back in Melbourne that uh, Walters will kick more goals than Danaher this year and... Unfortunately for me, I think it's um, five goals for Walters and Danaher's already kicked nine. So hopefully we can um, clear up that this weekend and um, Walters can put on a couple and any one of McFarlane or, sorry, not McFarlane, Pierce or Johnson can keep uh, Danaher really quiet. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, let's hope for your sake that this week that he starts to catch up a few of those goals. And I think, you know, obviously at the moment Walters hasn't probably um, hit the hit his season running and I think he's certainly got plenty and I think that's the good side for Fremantle is that you've got still got a number of guys who haven't gone nowhere near their best performance I think both our small forwards you would say at the moment have not probably played anywhere near the capability they're capable of at times and um, I think we've certainly got um, room for improvement um, across the board really and uh, I suppose it's the best thing when you look across the list that our biggest improvement this year has been our you know, fringe players or the guys sort of bordering on 18 to 22 have really increased. And our guys up towards the top, probably only Fife's the one that's actually got better on last year. But most of those other guys, like, you know, Pav and, and Ballas and, and Walters and some of those other guys have probably dropped off. And even Sandy hasn't been absolutely dominating, even though he's been very good. But still a lot of improvement in those um, those older guys or the, the guys that are probably in our top, you know, top 10 players at the club. Yeah, absolutely. So no, it'll be a cracking game, and it's always a um, it's always a pretty um, volatile type of game there as well against the Bombers, who obviously have a pretty big following in WA, obviously. And uh, so yeah, it should be a cracking atmosphere, especially on a uh, Saturday night with Mother's Day the next day. So uh, I'm sure a few guys will be uh, very merry there, and uh, obviously it'd be good for you, Seppo, to get along and uh, have a chance to watch it live. Yeah, first game I've uh, been able to watch in WA since 2011, so it's a, a long time coming, but it's um, yeah, going to be good to finally get to Subiaco and, and watch a game there and really immerse myself in the uh, purple haze there on Saturday night. All right, excellent. And uh, any other points you want to bring up before we wrap it up, Seppo? No, other than the fact that I think we're um, going to be sitting pretty well if we can get this win here and just keep on rolling towards a buy. I know we've got some more tougher opponents with um, Bulldogs and North Melbourne coming up, but it's just going to be great if we can get this win and just keep on rolling right the way towards uh, round 12 when we have our buy because it's certainly something we can keep this juggernaut rolling and just keep racking up those wins. doesn't matter what margin it is, it's going to leave us in good stead for the rest of the year. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I think, uh, as you said, it's sort of you do have to take it that one week at a time, but uh, 
as you said, if we can get a good win here, it certainly will set a good platform for us for the back half of the year because really the draw does open up for us quite a bit in that last six, seven weeks, Seppo, where we do play a lot of those sort of bottom, more bottom sides. So um, if we can manage to get a few good wins on the board earlier in the year and sort of set up a good platform, obviously the key for us is getting that top two position before the end of the season, um, which obviously gives you the two home finals if you can uh, manage to win through. So... Uh, should be good. So, what are you? Uh, what's your tip going to be, Seppo, for this one? Um, my tip this week is the um, the average sort of Frio margin we've been going for at the moment. So I'll stick with thirty two points and just hope you know we can get that five goal win and be nice and safe and not get too close to um, Essendon. So I think a nice five goal win will be good. Yeah, I think it'll be. Uh, I think Fremantle will get out to a pretty reasonable start, and as you said, they'll have their moments, Essendon. But I think Fremantle. Will... I'll probably go a little bit higher than you. I think I'll get up by about 39 this week. And, uh, you know, as I said, obviously having that sort of, uh, you know, sort of bit more makeshift defence, I suppose, with really probably our three three of our key backs out with um, Silvani, Dawson and McFarlane out will make it a little bit tougher for us um, than what it would be. But um, I think the strength of our midfield and forwards should should be able to do enough to get the job done. And it's interesting, Seppo, when... Uh, you know, there's obviously all the talk about, you know, as we saw, you know, with the key players out. But, um, you know, Fremantle with it now have three key four, three key backs out and, um, you know, still getting the job done. So sort of just shows sometimes that the, uh, you know, most people last year said that West Coast had a stronger, you know, much stronger key position list, but they've only lost, you know, lost one or two and all of a sudden it's um, doom and gloom. And yet we've had, we've got two or three, three of ours out. out and we've been pretty solid all still year still. strong. All right, anything else you want to bring up for the board, mate? Or um, no, other than the fact that um, if you've uh, you've got an Apple product and you can jump into the iTunes store, check out there's an, a footy app called Footy Prodigy, and it's an app that both uh, Tendai Mazunga and Matt DeBoer have helped create. Um, so if you want a little cool game for your uh, yeah, your iPad or your iPhone or something like that, it's called Footy Prodigy. It's not available at the Android store yet, and they're um, going to develop it one, but it's one that those guys helped create. And, um, it's a good way to support the Freo boys and, and get something they got behind. So check it out on the um, iTunes store if you've uh, got an Apple product. All right, excellent. No worries. All right, thanks for that again, Seppo. And as I said, hopefully you'll have a uh, terrific uh, time at the game this weekend and hopefully the boys will come through for the goods for you and uh, get through and get the uh, get the points because it'll be nice to uh, see a home win for sure. Yep. All right. That's it for this week, guys. Thanks again for joining us, and we'll see you next week. Bye for now.